How's it going, horror fans? This is Fear on Tap, a weekly podcast dedicated to our love of horror entertainment, haunting rabbit holes, and of course, beer. This is one of your hosts, Miles Dompierre. And this is your other host, Amin Chiasson. And welcome to episode five. Today, we are going to be diving into the horror elements of the latest RPG epic from From Software, Elden Ring. But before we get into all of that, Amay, what scary stuff have you been into this week? Yeah, well, we've been off for a couple weeks, so uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, Miles and I had to handle our Elden Ring addiction, um, but we're back. <laughs> we're still playing, but we're, we're good. <laughs> um, so for the last couple weeks, I watched a couple of movies and stuff, but I think the main one that I have to mention is I finally watched Scream 2022. Finally, um, it wasn't out in the theater, as some of you may know, because in Canada, where I live, um, some of the theaters near my house, well, all of them were all closed still because of COVID. So I was not able to watch it in the theater. So I ended up watching it at home when it came out uh, on the streaming services. But I finally watched it and I really liked it. Um, it was a nice it was a nice movie to kind of like come back to. It felt like, you know, putting back old shoes or something like it felt like a wholesome uh, movie. Honestly, uh, it really kind of like brought me back to those sort of like, you know, legacy memories of, you know, the, the, the older characters coming back and everything. It felt it felt nice. It felt like coming back home after a long voyage, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you, you finally watched it because I watched it opening weekend over here mm. in, in, in America where we just let things fly. Um, but I know you're a huge Scream fan. You're a way bigger yeah. Scream fan than I am. So yeah. I went into this expecting it to be lame. If I'm being completely mm -hmm. honest, I remember watching the trailers with my wife and she was so excited. And I was like, "Ugh, are they really going <laughs> back to this again? How many times are they going to try it? And yeah, like you said, it, it was cozy. It was comfortable. It made fun of itself. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I loved it. I ended up loving it and I went into it with really low expectations. So I was pleasantly surprised. And it was filled with a bunch of like modern horror references too, which I thought was really cool. You know, like uh, a lot of movies tend to reference these like old classics, you know, slashers or like super old horror movies. And for this one, I thought it was really cool that it's like, no, no, we're actually embracing modern horror with our references and Easter eggs. And um, I really I really enjoyed that. You know, they were mentioning Babadook and like Hereditary and like things like that. I thought it was really cool, um, you know, nod to mo the, the modern horror, because a lot of people are complaining that, you know, uh, horror has become bad and that there's no good horror out there anymore. But it's not true. You just have to know how to look, you know. Uh, so I really like that nod, you know, that this like popular franchise acknowledged, you know, the the beauty of these uh, newer horror um, horror movies. So, yeah, it was really cool. I did have some little complaints, like how I thought the killers were pretty predictable. I'm not going to say more than that i don't want to spoil but i felt it was a little predictable um i thought they were they went a little safe with it maybe um but but all in all i had a really good experience um with uh, with scream how about you what, what have you been into so i've i've watched a couple uh i guess gems in one way or another on some streaming services the first one i want to talk about is excellent it is called fresh and it is a hulu original starring Sebastian Stan, who you might know as Bucky Ooh, from Captain America. He's done a bunch of other stuff, but that's kind of his most prominent role, I would say. Amazing thriller. So good. 
it basically stars this this woman and i'm blanking on her name but she is struggling with the dating scene it's it's okay. her dealing with modern dating dating apps the opening scene is her on a miserable date with a total totally awful guy and from there <laughs> she's like i i just i just want to give up so she confides in her best friend and later on she ends up running into this this hunky charming guy sebastian stan at a grocery store and they ended up hitting it off they have a great time and after a few days of this whirlwind romance she agrees to go on a trip with him and okay. i don't want to spoil it because the overall kind of reveal of this is really clever and really unique and not something i particularly saw coming but i will say that sebastian stan is is not the man of her dreams as as she uh -huh. might have thought and he takes their relationship to a very sinister level and oh it's this beautiful blend of like true romance and comedy and horror and tension the best mm. beats of movies like american psycho um it's so good. So, so good. Oh, so nice. funny. I, I've never heard of it. Yeah. So it kind of I had somebody on Twitter talk about how the performances were incredible. Really great movie. But they didn't say anything about it. And if you go on Hulu's website, it's very vague. It's really, really vague. So oh. I'm like, OK, this is a thriller starring two people. OK, OK, I guess I'll give it a shot. But I would highly, highly recommend it again. Don't want to spoil what the what the conflict is. But um, oh, so, so, so good. That's on my list. And then on the flip side, I watched something really, really bad. And that was the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Ugh. Netflix original, baby. Mm. It's. I had a lot of people tell me that it was bad. I had a lot of good friends say, dude, this movie is a big stinker. Don't watch it. Save yourself an hour and 20 minutes. Don't even bother. And I was like, no, I have to. It can't be that bad. Let me see what this is. And I got to tell you, it is that bad. It is such <laughs> an offensively stupid movie. And the thing that's the most frustrating about it is this movie is about the, this group of people tr basically trying to gentrify the middle of Texas. They buy a ghost town, basically, and are mm -hmm. trying to like turn it into a hipster paradise and all that stuff. But you're, you're basically rooting for Leatherface in this because all of the <laughs> all of the characters are so miserable and so unbelievably unlikable that you just want them to die. You just you want them dead. And I don't know if that's intentional, but they have written some of the worst characters in any horror movie ever. Everyone is so obnoxious. And I was joking with you about about this before we started recording. But anytime I see someone complaining about a movie being quote too woke on twitter i cringe and i'm like oh no that's that's a problem this was yeah. the first time i've ever watched a movie where i'm like you know maybe this is too woke because <laughs> it just feels like all of these characters were written with one specific beat to just drill into you and that is their persona and it ties into social issues in some ways and political issues in some ways but it's not done with any care it's not done with any nuance. And all it does is make every single character in this movie wildly unlikable. And again, if that was the intention, okay. If they were trying to flip the script and make Leatherface the, the good guy, then okay, that, that is a take. But I really don't think that was their intention here. And I gotta say, 
considering this was written by Fede Alvarez of, of Evil Dead fame and Don't mm. Breathe. Big miss. Probably the first big miss of his that I have ever seen because, wow, the writing is <laughs> unbelievably dumb. Unbelievably dumb. I wonder if like if it was meant to be sort of like that on purpose where the main characters were supposed to be sort of despicable and not likable, even if it was on purpose, if the execution was clearly missed because that's not something that you sort of like leave the movie with going like, oh, my God, that was so clever or like, you know, thinking, oh, that was so cool. You know, they like flip the you no, know, it's just no, I just don't like these people. And that's just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, like there's I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's the obvious like, oh, no, he's not dead thing as as yeah, every yeah. slasher does. And then like at that point, I'm like, I don't even care. Like you can kill every single character on screen and <laughs> I there's no stakes for me in it. Like it doesn't matter to me at all. And that's how I felt the entire movie. Some positives here. Uh, great kills. Very yeah, brutal. Very gory. Uh, so a couple creative kills as well. And it's short. It's like an hour and 18 minutes, I think. Mm. If, so if the you... pain is not too long. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, again, I haven't watched it yet. Like I'm, I'm still building the courage or not the courage, but the care <laughs> to, to watch it. I wouldn't rush out. I wouldn't recommend anyone yeah. rush out and watch it because my wife and I were both floored by just how unbelievably dumb this and. The entire setup. I don't want to go too much yeah. too deep into it, but the entire setup for the the conflict of this movie is just dumb. Unbelievable. Yeah, I've heard. I I honestly haven't heard anything really positive outside of, like you said, some of the kills being kind of cool and and you know, it's very bloody and everything. But yeah, no, I I think I'm not gonna rush to to watch that one. So don't expect a fear on tap, uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> episode too soon. <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> Might not happen. Just <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned this horror movie with um, Sebastian Stan, because for me, the very first time that I um, saw Sebastian Stan on screen and I was like, oh, my God, he's hot. I was like, you know, I was a teenager. It was 2006 and it was the movie at the time, which I really liked, uh, called The Covenant. Oh, yeah. Do you know? It's been a long um, time since I've seen it, but I do remember that. I think the covenant is this really um it's a nice sort of uh gate I, I call it like gateway horror uh type of movies where if you're someone who's either a teenager or a bit younger and not really sure about uh starting to watch horror movies just yet because you're scared or you're not sure you know what you can handle or not handle the covenant is a nice sort of like in between where um it's not that it's not really scary scary but it's very um dark and a uh, spooky in the ambience and the way that the 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 story kind of like develops itself um and i remember at the time um i was watching a couple of horror movies but i was still a little bit of a scaredy cat i would say and the covenant was one of my uh really really uh, uh sort of like recommendation at the time with all of my friends i was like i swear like it's not that scary just watch it and uh, there was one specific um, instance in that movie where there's a girl lying on, on in the bed and she's having a nightmare and there's like a bunch of uh, spiders coming out of her ears and like there's like spiders everywhere. And as someone who is really scared of spiders, <laughs> that's <laughs> really stayed with me for so long. And I used to sleep because I have really thick curly hair and I used to sleep making sure that my hair was on top of my ears because I didn't want 
bugs to come in like inside of my ears and laying eggs and then you know having to deal with having spiders inside of my head but yeah little tangent there but yeah sebastian stan was pretty young at that point um and playing uh one of the main characters in there which a uh, little little fun fact <laughs> you know i i gotta respect the actors going back to their roots you know a yeah. lot of people get their start in horror and then a lot of them once they hit the Marvel scene, they they get too good for horror. Yeah, horror is exactly. beneath them, but yeah, Sebastian Stan, he's he's out there. He's he's still repping it, and his performance <laughs> in that, mm, Chef's Kiss, so good, so so Christian Bale, a la American Psycho, mm, with his own little little, nice. little twist to it. I love those like love horror, like passion, passion, passionate love turned bloody type of. Uh, type of uh horror movies with like obsessions and like things like that i that's a really really good uh genre uh to go into which i really like what about beer miles this week that's right so our beer pairing for elden ring this week i know you are currently taking some medication that restricts you from drinking so um that as the gentleman i am i'll be drinking for two here so thank you uh, my beer is Dream Unending, which is an IPA from True Brewing Company out of Denver, Colorado. This is a, a cosmic IPA, as they call it, uh, with Citra and Strata. And it pairs perfectly with some of the kind of otherworldly horror elements of mm. Elden Ring that we'll dive into. Um, if you've seen the cover of this can, it's they got the, the, the HP Lovecraft inspired weird dreamscape with the moon and, and the architecture and... Again, they're they're going out of their way to talk about the the strata hops that they're using. And it's, you know, it's just we'll get deep into that, but it's a great pairing for Elden Ring. Um, What's a cosmic IPA? It's just a it's not an actual classification <laughs> of an like, IPA. Is that a is that a that cause? Is that a style? It's brewed you know, like spelling, in space. Like, mm, it smells very cosmic. Mm, yeah. No, just just a buzzword to tie into their cosmic horror theme of the beer for sure. Have you seen Have you seen those ads for Coca Cola? The the um, like space. Oh, Starlight. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, I tried like, it. Have you tried I'm like, it? What is that? No, it's disgusting. It's so what bad. Is that? Okay, I'm going to describe some flavors that are hyper specific and maybe not everyone will get it. So it tastes like Coke, obviously. It tastes uh-huh. a little bit like raspberries, but the finish tastes like uh, buttered popcorn dum-dums. I don't know if you've ever had that candy or that sucker, but no. in the late 90s, early 2000s, dum-dums released a buttered popcorn flavored sucker. And it was like this really rich, specific flavor like artificial butter, artificial salt. And that is the finish of this. So it's like like those jelly beans, those like popcorn. Yeah, if you've um, had the popcorn, like uh, yeah. jelly bellies, similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's huh. the finish. So it starts Coke Ew. with berries and finishes in salted popcorn. And it's I poured it out. I had a half of it and I was like, you know, what? Ew. no. And they're like, it tastes like space. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Like, yeah, again, that's the gimmick. Tastes like spade. Maybe. I don't I probably will never know. I guess I'll believe you. <laughs> Take your word for it. We don't have that Bezos money to go check. That's right. <laughs> oh, all right. So cheers to episode five and cheers to Elden Ring. Cheers. Good water. <laughs> all right. Let's dive into the pointless tally here. And again, this is because this isn't a movie and this is a 
open world RPG that has hundreds of hours, arguably, of stuff to do. Yeah. It was a little harder to pinpoint it, but here's a collection of things that tie into the horror elements of Elden Ring. Um, and that is 10 fingered spider hands, seven bodies of infected water, five jeweled monstrosities, two rot severed arms, a handful of T Rex dogs, and one vile dung eater. <laughs> nice <laughs> very nice you could have you could have gone so many ways i mean like there's a lot of things to count and you know notice in this game it's so huge uh we're gonna get into it but uh for my arbitrary awards um so obviously this week we're not talking about a movie so we're gonna go into steam reviews which is Ooh. a dangerous place to be <laughs> but i found three um funny clever um steam reviews so i'm gonna uh read them for you so the first steam review so these were three positive uh you know thumbs up uh steam reviews on the steam alden ring uh store page so the first one is by a uh, user called mud and he says or she um or they i would write a more in-depth review but i'm too busy playing alden ring and i just thought that was too re too relatable <laughs> Because a lot of my friends are kind of like in that same boat where people are asking us, oh, should I play it? And we're like, yes, just yes, just play it. Like, stop. And they're asking us a million questions. And we're like, just just play it. <laughs> I don't have time to articulate it. OK, yeah. it's good. It's a very good game. Play it now. Shut up and you can ask me all the questions you want in co-op. All right. Yeah, exactly. It's like either you're jumping in with me on, you know, on, on voice chat or you stop this. Stop this messenger nonsense. Um, then we have Artemix saying, went to hug Fia and cry in her arms after so many deaths. Now I have syphilis. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Fia's curse. A lot of people when the yeah. game first came out, they would go and you could hug this character in, in the safe haven and she would embrace you in your arms. You're like, oh, that's wholesome. And then you had this red box with a down arrow and people are like, what is this debuff? What is this all about? <laughs> and it turns out she sucks 5% of your health mm -hmm. away with does. that hug. So she's literally sucking the life out of you. And you're thinking you're just getting this wholesome, supportive hug. It's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember the first time I went into there and she embraces you and puts, puts your head in her boobs. And you're like, oh, that's comfortable. And then you're hit with that debuff. Damn. The, everything has a price, <laughs> all right? Exactly. Then we have a, a user called Anorak saying, the developers must have a finger fetish, which I have to agree. What's with all the fingers in the Souls games? This this game goes all in on fingers. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have the f items like the furl calling fingered remedy, the finger severer. Then we have characters like the two fingers. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of talk of fingers. There's hands with fingers. <laughs> There's literally just giant fingers, like a pair of fingers just in the world. It's yeah. If fingers make you uncomfortable, um, you probably want to avoid this game. And if you do have a finger fetish, then, yeah, you might feel some some strange things while playing Elden Ring. <laughs> you, might, you might have some mixed emotions <laughs> <laughs> playing. <laughs> All right. So before we go too deep, uh, we do want to give a spoiler alert uh, because we're not going to hold, um, uh, you know, ourselves back in terms of what we're going to be talking about. I know that Miles has played more of the game, more of the game than me. So I still um, have some ways to go, but uh, I've played enough of it now that I'm like, OK, to talk about it. 
But if you are starting to play the game or if you haven't and you want to play it, maybe uh, wait a little bit before you listen to the episode because we are going to talk about different bosses. We might talk about, uh, you know, different spoilers for the story and things, uh, areas and whatnot. So just a, just a little bit of a spoiler alert for you because we're going to get deep into it. Exactly. So again, thankfully the, 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 thankfully the lore of Elden Ring and most From Software games is very cryptic. Mm-hmm. So there won't be a lot of blatant spoilers. But I know people like to experience some of the creatures and the interactions for themselves for the first time. And we will be touching on some, some moments and definitely yeah. some jump scares that, that happen throughout this game. So if you are unaware, quick overview of what Elden Ring is. So Elden Ring is an open world RPG from legendary video game creator Hidetaki Miyazaki um, of Dark Souls fame, Bloodborne fame, Sekiro, a long legacy of making really kind of critically acclaimed RPGs. Elden Ring is more of a high fantasy take than a lot of their previous titles. And for me personally, I got to say, I know this episode's about the horror elements, but I was a little worried that we would lose some of that because... Mm. What we saw in the trailers looked way more like Lord of the Rings. We yeah. you had horses, you had giants, you had orcs, and that looked cool. And I figured I would enjoy it. But as someone who loves Dark Souls, as someone who loves Bloodborne, I was a little worried that we might lose some of that gruesomeness, some of that that horror. And yeah. I gotta say, the more I played Elden Ring, the more those fears completely obliterated because. This has some of the most horrifying stuff I think they've done ever. And you have I agree. It's masked in this this colorful world and this bright world. And so you have this contrast where you're in a beautiful field one moment and then you're in just a brutal, disgusting hellscape. The first time I, I laid my feet in Kaled was where I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> Because you you start it's off in the limb, yeah you start off in the limb grave and there's there's trees and there's grass shiny trees it's green you see the the erd tree in the distance glowing and then you open up a chest and you get transported to this place and you're like oh my god I'm in a cave and there's weird bug men shooting <laughs> disgusting strings at me and you fight your way out of this cave and you're like oh thank god I did it I made it and then you walk out sky is blood red there's mounds of like flesh mushrooms off to the side. Big scary flowers, big pods, and you're like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. This this looks <laughs> like a nightmare, and I'm pretty sure everything here will kill me very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I I went into Khaled too early and had to just like say, you know what, I'm just gonna come back later <laughs> because I'm not ver- I'm not ready for the horrors of this place yet. <laughs> no, that that's the right call. As soon as I could get somewhere and teleport out, I was gone because. Yeah. It was really spooky. And that was it, it sets the tone early on that, yeah, there's going to be some horror elements to this. There, mm-hmm. there are definitely going to be things that are make you uncomfortable. And there are definitely going to be things that kind of push you in terms of um, environments, in terms of visuals and, and creature design. So I guess to, to touch on this, let's talk about how Elden Ring incorporates horror into its world. Well, I think that. Already, if we're talking about even before Elden Ring, I think From Software has always had uh, a, a spooky side to, you know, their their vision always. Um, just to give some context, though, I played Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. So I did not play. Um, I played a little bit of Dark Souls 1, but I just I was playing Bloodborne at the same time and ended up just sort of like not playing it. But 
Um, so those are the the two ones that I've played before um, Elden Ring. I think you played all of the Souls, Souls game, right? Yes. So I um yeah I've played all of them. I I Demon Souls and Dark Souls I played at launch, but didn't beat until a little bit later. Mm -hmm. I came back, but I have played through all of these uh, ahead of Elden Ring. So, yeah. So for me, so you can even like probably add on to that with the other uh, games that I haven't played. But to me, at least from my experience, especially in Bloodborne, I'm going to say is, um, you know, there is a jump scares are part of uh, these games. And uh, jump scares is a big uh, ingredient for a lot of uh, horror recipes, whether it be for movies or games or tv shows so you know all of these hidden enemies um and not only hidden enemies that are like in little corners but also enemies just like coming out of nowhere where you don't expect them to like in elden ring sometimes you'll have just wolves falling from the sky or <laughs> you know like these big giant hands coming you know from the ground to grab you and so i have like audibly yelled playing this game you know and I'm someone who watches horror movies, you know, on a weekly basis. And it really surprised me in many ways um, and not with like cheap jump scares. It's not like every two seconds, but very cleverly placed jump scares, I think, is one, one, one thing that I've seen both in Bloodborne and also in Dark Souls 3. Um, probably more in Bloodborne than, than Dark Souls 3, I would say. But um, yeah, because Bloodborne to me, if I were to compare sort of like the horrorness of... Um, the, the different Dark Souls games, I think that, well, Souls games, I would say that Bloodborne was before Elden Ring, probably the most uh, sort of like spooky themed one. And I would say maybe still uh, after playing Elden Ring, I would still consider Bloodborne to be a little bit more um, like a openly spooky uh, game uh, than Elden Ring. Elden Ring, I think, does it in a very sort of um, maybe a bit more subtle ways. Uh, you know, the game is still very beautiful and very medieval and very fantastical um and has horror has as part of that but i would say that bloodborne is still to me a little bit more of a horror game maybe than um than elden ring do you agree yeah absolutely i think bloodborne is their most overtly horror take yeah. on that formula and that's again that's why so many people gravitate towards it because it does have some of the most gruesome and grisly and disgusting creature design of anything that they've done and then with with games like Dark Souls 3, there are bits and pieces of that. So, again, it's yeah. not all horror. And that's kind of where Elden, Elden Ring sits as well. And that's why I think Elden Ring succeeds when it tries to do horror, because you really don't know when to expect it. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're, you, you, <laughs> they just keep you on your toes constantly. And like you mentioned, there are some jump scares. And, and like you said, they aren't cheap. They are well paced, well scattered throughout. And you'll just be exploring. You'll just be exploring you know, maybe a benign area where you'll be exploring this interesting artifact. And then as you approach it, boom, some giant demon appears or some giant cosmic minotaur with mm -hmm. basically, you know, horns on the front of its head. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and I think that's why I've been really impressed with Elden Ring's horror, because it's it is so rare that I feel like it is almost more impactful when you do have those mm -hmm. those horror moments. And they and they really exploit the horror elements in different ways, both visually and audibly and in the way that it sort of uh, makes you expect um, the worst out of certain areas. I think Kaled is a good example of that. 
you just enter there and you already know you're like, oh no, like I'm in a world of of hell right now. Um, and it just keeps you like on your toes because you're like, oh no, I know something here is gonna happen. I I don't even want to be here, but I have to be here. It's still gorgeous, but horrific. <laughs> and um, but at the same time, even the lighter parts of the map, you know, if you just like go around Limgrave with those cute rolling goats, uh, when night falls, some other stuff appear and you're like, oh, wait, this cute land during the day is not so cute at night. You know, you see those weird Dementors looking um, enemies on 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 horses and, you know, and you're like, wait, you weren't here in the morning <laughs> like why who are you <laughs> and so i really liked how they're using not only the locations you know uh as you know different sort of uh, ambience and different types of uh, uh visuals but also the time of date can ch literally change the type of area that you're in um so you know i thought it was like oh it's night so things are going to be more spooky but a lot of games you know the content of the map is not going to change whether it's at night or during the day. So I thought that was a really cool way to say, hey, you know what? If you come out at night, you know, you might uh, you might figure out some other things, you know, that you you're not seeing during the day. And if you're someone who's a bit more of a scaredy cat, you could decide to skip night and always <laughs> you know, go go out in the morning. <laughs> yeah, the night and day cycles completely change the feel of certain areas. And that's why I really appreciate that, because. Not games don't always do a great job of implementing night and day cycles in a way that matters. Yeah, exactly. And Elden Ring does an amazing job with, like you touched on. There's the the ring wraith looking horseback riders, and mm. then there's these creatures called death birds, which look like a weird fusion of a giant crow and like a human baby, and they're just oh, absolutely yeah. disgusting. So <laughs> and they'll just ap appear out of a void and jump on you only at night. Only yeah. so so these areas that maybe you explored once during the day and they're super benign, nothing going on. You'll just be cruising by and this giant death bird will come out. And mm -hmm. yeah, it just it constantly keeps you on your toes. There's not a ton of them, but there's enough to make you second guess how you approach different areas. And that always gives you this this kind of sense of tension that I really, really loved in Elden Ring. And I thought they were really creative in the way that, you know, I was I felt really scared. I, I think one of the, the 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 areas of the game where I felt the most stressed out was in a lot of the caves and a lot of the uh, the catacombs that they have in them in the game, because you never know what to expect. And it's so dark and you need your little lantern, because if you don't have it, you know, you're just basically going out there not knowing where you're going because it's super, super, super dark. Um, so already you have that sense of darkness and also a lot of these caves are very narrow and very uh gave me those almost vibes of like i was in the movie the descent you know like going deep into those caves not knowing where the exit is <laughs> and just like going deeper and deeper and deeper and i'm like where does this end i don't know <laughs> and uh oftentimes it, the caves end with some type of boss or you know um boss room type uh thing but sometimes not sometimes it's like you need to find the exit and sometimes you fall into a cave and you don't know how to get out also you know not all the caves are just like opening a door and you have a a bonfire there no sometimes you're like falling into a hole and you're like wait fuck i can't even i can't teleport from the cave and i don't know well not teleport but fast travel and there's no side of grace here so where 
<laughs> like, where am I going? <laughs> so I, there was a lot of moments like that in the caves, which I thought was um, different, even from Bloodborne, because in Bloodborne, I thought, you know, when you went into uh, what are they called? The chalice dungeons, mm -hmm. um, you know. These were not very scary to me. There was these these were more like grinding areas where you just had like a lot of different enemies and you were just kind of like grinding through them. But in this game, the caves were very carefully thought about, I I felt. Yeah. Because Elden Ring is their first foray into a true open world. So the scope mm -hmm. of the game, generally speaking, is huge. And a lot of these areas are way more open than anything we've ever seen in a from software game. But then you go into the caves. And everything gets tight. Everything gets really yeah. claustrophobic. And like you touch on, you, you have to use a source of light. And that creates this interesting dynamic because let's say you're a, a shield user and that is your main form of defense. Now you have to, you know, swap out your shield for a torch to be able to see. Mm -hmm. So that puts you at a disadvantage if there is something imposing in this cave. And so now you're kind of walking through the darkness with this torch up, knowing that you don't have your shield by your side. And if you do need your shield out, you're going to have to put that torch away. And if you yeah. put that torch away, you're going to be fighting in just pitch black darkness. And so yeah. the lighting that they've implemented in this adds a lot to the horror. Because like you touched on with Bloodborne, Bloodborne, although it's it's dark and gritty, it's never dark when you when yeah. you enter like any environment. There's never like a moment where it's pitch black. And so I think that the caves and the catacombs um, are an interesting way to kind of add that tension through lighting. And there's a lot of traps also, which, you know, even outside of uh, like actual enemies attacking you, there are traps that you need to really be on the lookout for, especially in the caves. So this is another point of anxiety that you're experiencing, you know, going through these caves because you're like, not only I need to be on the lookout for enemies, but I need to see where I'm going because I might get hit with a really nasty trap. Um, there's some of those like poison traps that are there. Um, there are traps like just literally falling down a hole. Um, and so it really keeps you on your toes because you have to be really, really careful. And, you know, the more tension you're feeling, the more those jump scares that we were talking about earlier are efficient because you're already stressed out. You're already on your toes. And then you have like a freaking gargoyle gargoyle from hell jumping at you. You know, it's very efficient. <laughs> It's very efficient. I yelled. I yelled. <laughs> yeah, there, there's one particular jump scare that got me like no jump scare has got me in a very long time. And you are in this this gross area where it's. Have you been to Lake of Rot yet? I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. Uh, in Khaled? Lake of Rot is like a part of the underground. Oh, uh, no, I'm I'm in the underground right now, so I might I might see that later but you can tell me about it that's fine yeah so you, there's this lake of rot so instead of poison which miyazaki he he loves himself some yeah. poison swamps the man <laughs> is obsessed he took it one step further and he's like well what if i created a status ailment that was worse than poison and worse than toxic called scarlet rot and what oh, if i yeah. made that's a lake awful. of that so it's a lake where you build up scarlet rot and you're you're fighting through there's the the cursed death frogs that if they puke on you you build up a death meter mm -hmm. and instantly die so you fight your way across this this tense swamp of hell and you get inside a structure and you're like, OK, I can breathe. There's there's platforms I can move around. You get to the bottom and you see some items at the end of this this bloody mm. hallway. And there's this blood waterfall coming down. And, you and so you're, go, like, you're like, I got to get these items. There's <laughs> yeah. like three items over here. You go in and as you get to the end, 
you can't like move normally. You're you're submerged to the point where you're walking slowly mm. and you grab the last item and a giant rotting worm just bursts <laughs> out of the water underneath you. And I just again, that was one of the times where I I screamed to myself because it was just so jarring and uh, so good. So, so good. The Scarlet Rot is honestly probably one of the most sort of unfair <laughs> unfair thing in this game like i've experienced it in Khaled in this um you know in the area near the commander o'neill um guy uh you can't just stand in the in the scarlet rot there you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get um filling to that because it's like a bar that you're filling if you stay too long and uh, it's really quick like you're gonna you're gonna die and it makes you it makes you lose a lot of hp really quickly and like the there is a remedy, but it's very scarce. Like I mm -hmm. found maybe like four <laughs> in the course of my like seventy hours, <laughs> like time, to, you know, play time. So don't rely on those. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no, I've only started to go in the underground. I think the only thing I've done. Um, so I a while back, so like a couple of days ago, I did the boss, uh, which was a beautiful boss room, by the way. This this is probably one of my favorite boss so far just because of the beauty and music and everything but i can't recall the name but it was the um, uh, you know the it's like a, a deer uh with oh, antlers the and it's like ancestral jumping. beast yeah it's so beautiful yeah. and the music was gorgeous and this was just a beautiful fight and it wasn't that hard and i felt I, and i didn't want to beat it i was like no i want to be here for like longer you know so i ended up beating it in like two 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 shots i think um, well, not in one, I mean, two tries, <laughs> but so it was so gorgeous. So I beat that guy, well, that deer thing. And then, uh, I came back to the surface and now I just came back. So, um, I'm going to continue to, to discover the, uh, the underworld, but, uh, what are some of your favorites uh, or like most spooky areas, um, that you found in the game? Like, what are some of your like favorite spots? Obviously, we, we've touched on Caleb a bit, and mm. that is when it comes to horror, that is probably area number one, because yeah, the sky is blood red. Like you mentioned, the water there is scarlet rot, so you can't even touch the water without being mm -hmm. just destroyed by it. And then you start wandering around and seeing the creatures that live here. Oh, disgusting. And you see disgusting patchy dogs that yeah. are like the shape and size of a T-Rex. And they're just bombing towards you with these massive heads and everything about them is just really unsettling. Mm. And then you look up on the hillside and you see a giant crow type monstrosity, with a huge mouth, <laughs> huge mouth, almost like a uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, mm. I'm blanking on the, the, the couple's name. But when they when she stretches her face out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. like that is <laughs> oh what these God. crows look like. And it's just <laughs> it's awful it's so awful so that area stands with me in a huge way there's also this really interesting kind of chaos cult chaos religion in it and mm. so you'll find them scattered throughout and you'll look at them and their eyes are just like oozing yellow yeah and there's rats surrounding them that that, that spread this infection and you go up to them and they just shoot fire out of their eyes <laughs> and uh the frenzied I think there, there's like a frenzied village and there's mm -hmm. a fren frenzied tower. And so yeah. you, you clear out this frenzied village and you clear out these villagers and you go over this hill and you see a giant 
like eye of Sauron, like a big orange eye come out of oh nowhere yes. and just start building up your, your madness meter. And you're like, yeah. Oh my God, what is happening? So you have to like <laughs> go hide behind trees to keep from losing your mind. And uh, those are a couple of standouts for me. And then the underground area as well. Um, mm. That's when you really get a glimpse into the kind of cosmic horror elements of Elden Ring. And they touch mm. on jewels and how those can basically, and how those can impact the world and how everyone in this is obsessed with the jewels, whether it be for magic or power. And then you see creatures that manifest that and you'll see enemies that are nothing like you've seen in any game before and nothing like you've seen anywhere. And there's this really compelling kind of energy when you when you see those because they are familiar in some ways. They'll have a humanoid face, but their bodies are just made of jewels and and abstract shapes and it's yeah oh it's so good yeah i think for me um uh, kaylin obviously is like a big standout you know it's a, like a huge area of the map and it is probably one of the hardest areas in terms of like the casual mobs you know hanging around like i, I don't necessarily think like all of the bosses in there are, are the hardest but like in terms of difficulty but in terms of just walking around i think the mobs are the most brutal um i mean those t-rex dogs don't miss them <laughs> i mean <laughs> i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, aggro them just be prepared um and so that's definitely one of the the most obviously horrific area of the map but what i liked is also how they sort of like sprinkled these really little gems of horror uh across the map also one of my favorite one is the windmill the windmill village um if you've been with the little midsummer town yeah yeah <laughs> i uh i really really liked uh that spot and you just arrive there and it's just these like either dead or undead or sickly uh, ladies uh dancing and laughing and they're like ha ha, hee, hee, ha and they're just like you know as, as long as you don't approach them too close they don't attack you they just sort of continue to dance and laugh and um and it's very Midsommari. Like I, I, when I went into that area, I was like, wow, this is straight out of a horror movie, like mm -hmm. straight up. Uh, and, you know, and I did the mistake of attacking one of them and they turned into these really mean ladies. Um, but yeah, that was one of the areas that, that was a nice surprise to me because I really, really did not expect it. it like in, in Khaled, it's like, yeah, this world is horrific. So I'm expecting, you know, disgusting creatures and um horror elements in here but this was in an area where i didn't really expect it you know it was sort of like in the depth of the ma the mountains mountainous forest and i didn't really expect much of it and then i get there i'm like oh windmill cool and there's these fucking creepy ass ladies dancing and laughing i thought that was so cool <laughs> and there's also an area i can't recall the name but I don't know if you've done that puzzle, but it's like you need to do a puzzle to um, spawn this little building. You need to like touch these um, shiny sort of crests and then it makes this building appear in this forest. And in this tiny little forest, there's these uh, enemies that really look very similar to the Dementors in Harry Potter. Um, but they're but they're not flying, they're walking. Um, and they really look very, very similar. And they're very creepy. Like, they're very creepy. They're, like, made of, of trees and um, sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, like, leaves and things. But they're, like, covered by a, a big, big black um, cloak. And they're really scary, especially at night. And that's, again, an area where 
I was just casually going there, you know, to just get some flowers and shit and didn't expect those dudes to be there. So I really like those little areas where you just get, you know, surprised and, and uh, just, you know, just rewarded with these little horror moments that you're not expecting because you think you're in a safe space, you know, in safe area, but you're not. You, n you never are in Elden Ring. That's the thing. Even though you're like, oh, that's beautiful, you know, like all the trees and there's little rolling goats and we're, we're fine. You're never fine. Don't no. think that you're fine. <laughs> they lull you into a false sense of security and then mm -hmm. they just slap you in the face with something horrifying. Um, I guess before we move on to our, our next topics here, I got to ask what your what you think are the most terrifying enemies that are in mm. Elden Ring, because there's there's a lot to choose from. Hmm. I think for me, it's it, it depends. Like my my answer probably would change depending on like how frustrated with an area I am. But um, I think for me, the enemies that I thought were really creepy, especially at first, like after a while, you kind of get used to them. But the the screaming, the banshees, you know, that are like singing um, and you oh, approach them. Oh, yes. That's one that I was like not expecting because I was just on my horse, you know, chilling. And then I'm hearing beautiful you know <laughs> and i'm like wait that's beautiful so i thought at first i was certain it was an npc like a lady singing and you were supposed to follow the sound of her voice to you know find her um which is like which is like an amateur fucking, <laughs> fucking reaction as someone who likes horror movies like come on there's a there's like a million of creatures who like use this exact tactic to lure you in like sirens and shit but um I still went for it, and then I, <laughs> I got I got surprised again, <laughs> you know, with these fucking flying ass, uh, women, uh, trying to to kill me. So that was that was a really good one, uh, because I was not expecting it. I thought it was again a false sense of security. I thought, oh, there's an NPC singing and she needs my help. Nope. Um. So nope. that was <laughs> that was one of them. Um. I think in terms of um, scariness, also one that took me by surprise but also because i had an expectation of it because people were warning me um of him was um radon um and that's not necessarily because his design is scary necessarily but just because of how imposing he is um i felt this sense like the second you enter this boss fight it's like right now it's you don't have one second to breathe and he's like on your ass um and to me, that was one of the most terrifying boss, not because of how he looked, but because of his behavior. <laughs> and um, I genuinely felt powerless for a while um, and had to take a little break, come back. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would say like in terms of surprise, the, the Banshees were probably the most surprising enemies that I didn't expect. And then Radon, just because of how terrifying his behavior was, because I did not expect how um, crazy that fight would end up being. How about you? Yeah, Radon, that is one where I've seen a lot of people post their frustrations online. <laughs> like you, you touch on you teleport into this fight and you are in it. He is yeah. he's throwing spears at you from the jump and you're like, oh, my God. OK, let me fight my way there. And then you mm. get there and you see how big he is. How towering he's riding a regular sized horse. He makes that, oh, that horse, horse. Look, look like a little toy. <laughs> it's a dinky. Li it looks like he's sitting on a hot wheel. Oh, no. Like, oh, my. So, yeah, I oh. get it. Also. Oh, sorry. I also thought, you know, those little um, 
those small dudes with the long hats. Oh, I'm not uh, kidding. These guys scare the shit out of me so many times because they're so small. You don't see them. And I would just like walk around thinking I'm like alone. And then they just jump at you going like, and you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) They surprised me and ambushed me multiple times. So they definitely deserve uh, a kudos as well for that. Yeah, that enemy is one that's entirely jump scares. Every time you encounter them, you're just walking through a dungeon and boom, smacked in the back of the head. Smoke bomb. Here's eight of them from the shadows. You're like, oh my yeah. God. Oh. <laughs> what about you? What are some of the uh, scary enemies that you found? For me, first and foremost are the hands. Um, mm. This game does such true. a good job with Very body true. horror and making you yeah. uncomfortable with, with the human body. and. Mm. There are these 10 fingered, like severed hands that act like spiders. So imagine a spider, the way it would like scurry across the ground, but that is a hand. Mm -hmm. And it is so, so upsetting. I remember the first time I encountered one was in some sewers. And I just look on the ceiling and I see a hand, like a massive hand just crawling on the ceiling. I'm like, oh no, oh no, no, no. And so I kill a couple of them. And then I go down the hall and I see one that's like eight times the size, like five (laughs) times bigger than me on the wall. And I'm like, oh, my God, it shoots this purple laser at me, locks me into place and then scurries down this tunnel towards me and smash me like, oh, no, 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 no. They're so fast, so aggressive. And it's just one of those enemies like we've seen spiders in games like I'm usually not a spiders can be spooky. I get it. I Mm. definitely do. But that usually doesn't do anything for me. But these hands, oh, oh, my God. Some of the most unsettling, probably the most unsettling thing I've seen in a game in in a long, long time, because. Again, it's familiar. We all know what the human hand looks like, but when then you distort that and you turn it into another creature and then the way it animates itself and the way that it attacks you and there's 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 spots where it's just underneath the ground. And they'll put like an item on top of the hand. Oh, and I if got you, caught by one of them. And if you go get that item, the hand just reaches from the earth and grabs you. And it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ. I felt my soul leave my body. That happened to me. And uh, yeah, that was very efficient. <laughs> so hands number one. Also, any of the grafted enemies. There's these weird, mm. disgusting, like worm human creatures that. One of the the first bosses you fight in the in the tutorial is 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 one of them, and it's basically mm-hmm. just a a mass of human limbs with, with weapons. And there's so many moments throughout this game where they just throw one at you. It'll just emerge out of the earth and just start lashing at you. And they are so fast and so aggressive. You don't even have time to think, and they just immediately impose this this sense of dread on you because not only are they strong but they're fast and they look disgusting. You don't want to look at mm. them. And uh, yeah. So body horror is kind of where this game shines for me. True. It's sort of like uh, it had some society moments. Almost, oh, yeah. Uh, in some of the Call ways back. that, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> clever. huh? Um, but, you know, like how Godric is sort of designed, you know, like with um, all of the uh, wait, is it Godric or is it um, what's his face? Um yeah, Godric the Grafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the like uh, all of these limbs and stuff. Like if you're if you're someone who is a little icky about limbs and things like that, definitely Elden Ring is big on enemies with uh, 
with uh, a lot of limbs and uh there's even areas in the game with like limbs just like hanging from the ceiling um and there's also like bodies hanging and stuff like that so like trigger warning if ever that's the type of imageries that can be upsetting to you like there's a lot of those um so yeah definitely uh part of the the spirit of that game so yeah there's obviously a lot of really scary things in elden ring and a lot of people myself included probably weren't expecting that based on mm -hmm. you know how they were marketing this they give us little glimpses like you mentioned that room with all of the limbs hanging from the ceiling that wasn't one of the trailers and that's when i was mm -hmm. like okay they're not completely moving away from horror but they really really lean into horror a lot of the time in this game and into great effect i think so yeah. normally we do a little section where we add some additional details but something that i thought might be interesting as someone you know you work in accessibility for video mm -hmm. games and obviously we've seen a lot of passionate takes from members of the community <laughs> members of the yeah. souls community about difficulty and accessibility regarding elden ring and video games in general mm -hmm. so there's there's a camp of people who basically say that you know a director's vision is that it is, it is what they intend this game to be and they shouldn't have to cater to anyone or anything for it mm -hmm. um a lot of that gets brought up when it comes to difficulty. People say, oh, no, they can't make Elden Ring easier because that's not the director's vision. Mm -hmm. So what I want to talk to you about is the difference between difficulty and accessibility, because I think Elden Ring does a really good job of giving you options for using gameplay to to tweak the difficulty. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that everyone can jump in and play Elden Ring. Yeah. No, so I think that especially when it comes to the Souls games, yeah, that's a conversation that comes back a lot. Um, and I think because there is maybe a little bit of a confusion as to what accessibility is or isn't. Um, when people talk about, you know, making Souls games accessible, um, we're not necessarily asking for, you know, an easy mode being slapped on. Um, that could be one of the the things that can be done. And I'm not like against uh, difficulty modes per se and you know difficulty settings and easy modes are part of what can make something more accessible for someone but that's not the only thing that can um, help making a game accessible and so when you know we're we're talking about accessibility we're not asking oh make this game easy um because there's a lot of uh, like unnecessary barriers that are um that are existing that won't change the ultimate sort of um vision uh that a director might have but can be the, a world of difference for someone who uh, needs to, to, to just have this little thing tweaked in order to play the game. So I think Elden Ring does a really good job of doing certain things uh, compared to the previous uh, Souls games. I think that just having a map is, is like a, a, you know, a big change. Um, I think the fact also that because it is an open world, um, you have more opportunity to regain um you know sort of like take you know take some some time off of a boss that you might be frustrated with you know you're able to just you know go away for a while level up come back you know you you have this option compared to the previous game where it's like oh if you're stuck somewhere you're kind of like stuck there and either you go back and you know redo these very linear areas again or you know you're just stuck on that boss again and again and again and again and so i could see where that would have been very frustrating I think that Elden Ring gives you a little bit more um, of a leeway, you know, to sort of do your own experience a little bit. Um, the thing is, you know, people say, oh, the, the, the director's vision is 
you know, what's important and the rest doesn't matter. And in this case, the director himself has said that, you know, he is uh, sad about people, you know, finding the game, uh, the, the games that he that he, he has made inaccessible and that he wishes that more people would give it a chance, um, but that he is struggling with, uh, you know, trying to keep the very hardcore sort of like nature of the Souls games, but also make it more accessible. It's something that he said openly. And so I think that it is totally fair to have that conversation because they're having that conversation even themselves. Um, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, is the solution to add an easy mode? Maybe. Um, I don't think that's the only thing we should be talking about. I think that's not necessarily where the focus should be when we're talking about accessibility because it's so much more than just that. Um, I think that someone who is disabled doesn't necessarily want to play Souls games, but on easy mode, they want to play a Souls game. You know, if someone wants to play Elden Ring, they want to play Elden Ring. They don't want to, they don't want to play a game that will play itself for them or that, you know, will make every encounter, you know, just play itself or anything like that. Um, you know, I think that the main thing is, are people choosing to play a game because they, because they like the genre or, you know, are they, or actually, I should say, are they not playing the game because they just don't like the genre and they don't like the hardcore nature of the game? Or are they not playing it because of an unnecessary barrier that just could have just not been there to begin with? Um, so that's the, the the main, I would say, thing to say about this. I don't want to go too deep into it because you could just like get into so many layers of it because accessibility touches so many components. Um, but I think that if the, the, the key thing to keep in mind is whether you're making a super hardcore, you know, Souls type game, or you're making a point and click uh, adventure, you know, PG uh, game. Accessibility is just something that you need to talk from the beginning um, and taking consideration for your design and make work into your vision. And that way, you know, everybody's happy and, <laughs> you know, you're able to work with accessibility in mind within, you know, uh, the scope of the game that you have and the type of game that you have. Um, I don't think that when people are asking for a game to be accessible, they're not necessarily asking for it to be easy. So that's not something to confuse. Um, but uh, difficulty settings are definitely something that, that could be a solution. Um, it's just that that's not the only thing that exists. So that's, that's my take. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted to get your take because I've seen you post about this and it's, there's been a lot of in interesting conversations about how people should play Elden Ring. You mm -hmm. should, I've seen people say you shouldn't use summons, you shouldn't use magic, all these oh, that's crazy. arbitrary <laughs> barriers for how you are supposed to enjoy a game. And oh, I think no. that's especially frustrating because I feel like Elden Ring has done the best job of giving you more ways than ever to play mm -hmm. the game. And kind of, like you said, allowing ways for people to experience this game who maybe have been frustrated by other Souls games. Mm -hmm. Because again, I like them, I like the difficulty, but I, I absolutely understand that, you know, they are not the most approachable or accessible games. Mm -hmm. Historically, they just haven't been. There's been a lot of barriers like you touched on. There wasn't a map until this one. Yeah. So you had to just kind of figure things out. And a lot of purists, if you will, enjoy that, appreciate that. They want that to stay. They don't want that to be affected. And like you touched on, I think there are ways that accessibility can be integrated as, as an option for players that wouldn't take away from the core experience or like, or the director's quote unquote vision for what this project is. So, yeah. And like, ultimately what I really don't like whenever these conversations come back is how gatekeepy people get, because mm -hmm. then we're steering away from just discussing, you know, 
solutions about design or about settings or about options and we're just getting into this weird like get good you know yeah like, sorry that you're <laughs> you bad know? at video games you don't get to enjoy it exactly like I, that's not productive for anyone honestly like you know especially because you know when we're talking about these things you know we're we're excited to find solutions you know we want to discuss with with the you know the, the community with disabled gamers to try and figure out okay so what are things that make a, a, an experience inaccessible and how can we approach you know uh finding solutions um and when we sort of like reduce those conversations to get good you're just bad like you know go play animal crossing um where does that bring us that that brings us nowhere it's not productive um you're not you know making your community look good you're making everything toxic for no reason i think it's unfortunate because in another world uh talking about accessibility versus difficulty could be a very cool and productive you know sort of like conversation about how we make video games and about design and about intent and about you know uh audiences and how we and, and about ux and everything like that but unfortunately online it's all reduced to get good you're bad get screwed um you know fuck off so you know unfortunately we don't see a lot of those productive uh conversations Yes, unfortunately, the internet is not always the best place to have a good constructive conversation, yeah. but that's why I wanted to touch on it here because again, mm -hmm. I value your perspective as someone who works in this every single day. And again, I am a huge from software fan. I'm a huge Miyazaki fan, but I've never taken the stance that, you know, certain people shouldn't play these games. I've always been very vocal about the fact that I would love more people to yeah. experience it. And I was so excited to see more people experience it with Elden Ring. And I think they are learning and adapting. And I think, you know, with their next title, there there is room for opportunity when it comes to making this more accessible. Yeah, and Elden Ring, uh, like I said, I think it's it's still not accessible in many ways, but there are uh there are good good stuff about it. You know, the way like I was talking about with the 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 open world aspect of it giving it more freedom and you know, different uh, sort of options to experience the game uh, like you want to experience it. But also, for example, for me, as someone with ADHD, I usually struggle with open worlds. I really do. Um, but the different things that I that I found with Elden Ring is that wandering off is sort of rewarded, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, compared to a lot of these other open worlds where, you know, you would just get lost and not really know what the fuck is going on um, in Elden Ring. It's not even a question that I was asking myself. I was just sort of going with the motions and I didn't care if I was on a main path. I didn't care if I was just, you know, killing random enemies in a forest. I just had a good time and I felt like the game was never punishing me for exploring. Um, the messages from the community did, <laughs> but, but the game itself usually, usually rewards you for being curious. Um, it might lead you into some traps and some some challenges but uh ultimately it leads you to find rare items and you know uh these hidden quests you know these hidden people that are there out in the world asking for help um so so yeah that's that's i would say that's my my take for for elden ring specifically but beautiful all right well let's <laughs> I, you know let's move on from elden ring i know that's been mm -hmm. uh, absorbing most of our lives most of my free time mm -hmm. has been dedicated to elden ring but yep. outside of that, what, what's been your weekly rabbit hole? The, I guess past couple of weeks, you've had some mm. time to yeah. really dig into it. So what's been pulling you away from Elden Ring? So, I mean, so yeah, so 
I've been playing Elden Ring a lot. <laughs> so, you know, that's one thing that I've been uh, sort of like sucked into. But one thing the other night that I really fell into and I want to talk about it. It is quite dark, though. So like trigger warning, if you're someone who might, uh, you know, find subject of violence, death, um, abuse, everything um, upsetting, you know, maybe just like skip two minutes ahead. Um, but I I like horror um, and I also have with that a morbid curiosity into the real um, the real horrors of life. Um, and so, you know, like uh, every um, average uh, white chick in America, I like true crime and I like <laughs> I like these documentaries about, you know, serial killers and things like that. Not because I like serial killers. OK, I don't write love letters to people in prison. You know, that's another type of person. But um, but there is something sort of I don't want to say fascinating because that's giving importance to people that shouldn't get, you know, uh, sort of any sense of uh, of importance. But it, there's something really extraordinary about how humans can do horrific things. Um, and you get to experience that in a in an area of YouTube called uh, the 911's uh, dispatch calls. Um, so there is a lot of YouTube channels that exist. So it's not just one. So I'm not going to name one particular. If you want to get into it, just basically go on YouTube and go 911 calls. And that's basically it. But there is uh, these real 911 calls uh, from people who either just killed people uh, who are calling to confess uh, people hiding during home invasions. Um, there's from everything that you can imagine, there's 911 calls. Um, there's also really, really sad stories about women who were in abusive relationships who called 911 more than once um, and the police going there, not taking stuff seriously. And that person uh, eventually actually dying. Um, so there's a lot of these really upsetting stories. Um, there's, 911 calls from you know 911 victims who were calling to ask the dispatcher to pray with them to relay messages to their families and loved ones it's like heartbreaking honestly and it was this um sort of night where you know when you're in like a weird place and you feel like i don't know you know you shouldn't be listening to these but you just keep going and you're like oh my god and it it feels wrong it feels like you're listening to things that you shouldn't even have access to um, but one thing that it did highlight for me, and I think is maybe the, the, maybe the thing to, to, to take out of this is the fucking patient, patience and strength that it takes to be a 911 dispatcher, <laughs> like to stay strong and patient and productive and useful and eloquent and empathetic during these very, very intense situation that most of us would not even be able to, you know, uh, go through without bursting out uh, crying um so just huge uh shout out to those people doing this work because we often talk about police you know going through uh, these very difficult um situations and first responders and things but those dispatchers are oftentimes that first line of response to to those really really awful situations and uh having a glimpse into that reality was very strange um and very real, too real. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's not necessarily something I recommend you go into. But if you're someone like me who just uh, has this type of morbid um, curiosity, I know some of you will. <laughs> but just just know going into it that, you know, 
there's a lot of respect uh, for for these these professions and just make sure that, you know, you're not going into this uh, thinking that it's going to be lighthearted because it's really not going to be. But yeah, so it's not very positive, but that's what I fell into, especially one night. And uh, it made me cry. I was very emotional and uh, it was cathartic uh, in some in some ways. But there was some good endings. I'm going to say there was there is some really good. 911's calls that sort of like and ended really really positively but a lot of them don't um so yeah that's the rabbit hole that i fell into <laughs> wow that is dark uh yeah, yeah it's <laughs> you bring up some interesting points when we talk about these these professions that a lot of us can't even fathom doing is that yeah. there is a person sitting by a phone every day waiting for unfortunately horrible things to happen mm-hmm. and you touch on some of the 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 positive outcomes, which which is good to hear, because there are stories where this dispatcher is basically, you know, the the lifeline for this person. Yeah. The, the, how this dispatcher responds to the situation, what this dispatcher does, can mm. be life or death for some of these Absolutely. people. And so it is nice when you hear the story of a dispatcher or somebody going above and beyond and and really stepping up to help someone who is in. A desperate time and needs help desperately. And I'm glad you touched on some positives because, yeah, yeah. I don't think <laughs> I emotionally could handle that particular rabbit hole mm-hmm. because I am, you know, very, very empathetic. And it's very yeah. hard for me to kind of hear a story like that, experience someone else's story and just brush it off and move on. So, yeah, that stuff like that would definitely uh, weigh on me for, for yeah. a while, I feel like. There are some like there's some carefully put compilations of good 911 calls though like if ever you're like oh i just want to hear stories about good people being good people you know there's there's that <laughs> but there's but yeah like it's easy to sort of cuz it's kind of like the same thing of the morbid curiosity about you know serial killers or even reality shows and things like that the people tend to be um interested in the real um life events and so this is like a direct line into it so it's you 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 listen to like one and then you're like oh i want to know what happens next and they don't tell you what's gonna what it's gonna be so you don't know what to expect exactly so but it's this weird thing of like oh you're just keeping on listening and when i stopped i was like i shouldn't have done that now i feel awful (laughs) i can't no i can't i can't i can't sleep (laughs) but you know i just had to talk about it because it was really impactful in many ways um but yeah let's uh let's move on to something a little bit more lighthearted. how about some some uh hometown horror yeah so hometown horror is the part of the show where we share your local urban legends scary stories or unexplainable experiences if you have one of these to share of your own, you can shoot us an email at fearontappodcast at gmail.com or you can hang out over on the Fear on Tap Discord and share your stories there as well. Uh, this week's story comes from Astro Raider of the Fear on Tap Discord, and this particular hometown horror takes place in North Texas. This is The Hound from Hell. My story begins on a beautiful night in North Texas. My girlfriend and I decided to drive to the corner store for some snacks as we were having a movie night and were craving some gas station nachos and other junk items. As we were driving down the road, we came up to a roundabout. As soon as we passed this roundabout, I saw a weird dog-like creature approaching the road about to cross it. I quickly stomped on the brakes as this dog-like creature jumps right in front of my car. 
I almost hit this animal. Ah, poor puppy, my girlfriend says. The image still fresh in my mind. I looked at her and said, that was not a dog or puppy of any kind. She didn't believe me. I decided to turn around to try to find this creature and prove myself right. Coming back, we saw this creature again walking on the sidewalk. I stop the car next to it as my girlfriend lowers her window. She begins calling to this creature. Hey, pup. Oh, no, that's not a dog. She quickly starts raising her passenger side window. It stared at us straight into our souls. It had a creepy red glowing eyes of some kind that I had never seen before. It had muscular legs and a hairless body. It looked like something straight out of hell. I noticed that it looked familiar. Its body and face looked that of something weird, creepy, and out of this world. It clicked in my head. The Chupacabra! We were freaked out and headed to the corner store, still wondering what the hell it was we almost hit. As we passed by the road again on our way home, we looked everywhere for it. No sign of this dog-like creature anywhere. It had disappeared into the night. Damn, the Chupacabra! The Chupacabra! <laughs> you always hear about it in the, those desert regions. It's kind of <laughs> Growing up in Washington State, Bigfoot. There's a lot of woods. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of Bigfoot stories. So I, I love those. The cryptids. Give us, yeah. give us some more cryptid stories if you've had one uh, to experience of your own. Over here is the Wendigos. That's the yeah. That's the creature that people uh, chat about. <laughs> the Wendigo. Yeah, that that's creepy though. Um, I, I've seen a lot of those like in these. OG YouTube videos, there was a lot of people, uh, you know, filming like those chupacabra, you know, like those like found footage. Uh, OG YouTube has a lot of found footage uh, videos of like finding chupacabras or um, there was this thing. I think it was called uh, duendes, like those like gnomes um, that would hide. I, I don't know. And it, it might be offensive. Like, I don't know if it's actually like a creature. I don't know. But there was like a lot of those videos. Um, but uh, yeah, Chupacabra, classic. Yeah, no, those are some YouTube rabbit holes I used to go down all mm -hmm. the time, just finding the, the found footage of somebody out in the woods. Oh my God, it's the Chupacabra. Yeah. <laughs> the red glowing eyes, the weird ratty looking dog. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, there's an interesting story, not to debunk your experience here, but there's an interesting theory that these are actually dogs with mange for the most part, mm. like they're diseased yeah, dogs yeah. and their fur is basically coming off because of mange. And that is why they take on this weird kind of uncanny Valley of, of not quite a dog, but, but similar mm -hmm. to that. And they're super skinny because of other disease, but Again, not not to downplay your story here, but just an interesting theory regarding mm. the chupacabra. We're two boring skeptics, so that might happen. Exactly. Exa exa <laughs> you know. But there's there's a lot of chupacabra-looking dogs in Elden Ring. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there sure are a lot of disgusting, boily, pussy dogs. And you cannot pet the dogs in Elden Ring. I'm sorry. No, did <laughs> you, you see the uh, amazing video on that Twitter page where it's the? The person no. emoting to the T-Rex dog. He's like no. putting his arms out and the T-Rex dog runs up and just slams her <laughs> into the ground on the official that. Can You Pet the Dogs Twitter page. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for episode five of Fear on Tap. If you want to keep in touch or talk about horror, you can follow us on social media, Twitter mostly. Uh, my handle is Miles Dompierre. And my handle is the Slasher Chick. And don't forget to follow the official Fear on Tap Twitter at Fear on Tap. 
What are we watching next week? So next week, we are finally, I'm very excited. We are doing Jennifer's Body, the movie, with uh, none other than Megan Fox. Um, and so we're going to be discussing that and uh, telling you all the tea about it. All the Exactly. So if you watched or if you listened to episode four, you know that's what we were supposed to do for episode five. But we had to talk about Elden Ring. Mm -hmm. we, just, we just had to. So that's getting bumped to episode six. But I'm excited. This will be my first experience with Jennifer's Body. Yes. All right. Thank you for listening, guys. I'll see you next week. Bye.